we're in this big umbrella topic of being an apprentice of Jesus. Next week, we're moving into an area of being an apprentice of Jesus um, that Pastor Matthew is going to be here and talking and starting a series on prayer. Um, and maybe some of you feel like you've got prayer down to a science and, you know, like, why are we doing a series on prayer? He's going to be bringing up a lot of things. And together through that series, Matthew and I will be preaching a lot about through the Lord's Prayer and a lot of things with that, which I think will be really good for us to listen to. As, again, we're learning to understand what it means to be an apprentice, a follower of Jesus and how he lived this world and how he wants us to do it. But for now, this week, we're closing our series, our vision series, on this overall arching umbrella of what is an apprentice of Jesus. And we're basing it all on Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, where Jesus says, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. The last three weeks, we've talked about the first three elements of that. Come, Jesus says. And come is really an invitation that our story would intersect with the story of Jesus. That they're not parallel railroad tracks going side by side forever, but that when Jesus says, come, he's entering our story into his. And then we talked two weeks ago about um, follow me. And Jesus was known as as a Jewish rabbi at that time, and for Jewish rabbis to invite people to follow them was an exclusive call only for the elect few. And Jesus blows that out of the water by calling these everyday people who are fishermen to say, follow me. In other words, the the call isn't just for the elect few, it's for everybody. And then last week, we talked about, I will make you. In other words, it's this word transformation. And remember last week, I talked about this place where we want to be and where we are. And it's this gap, this growing over time called transformation. That's where we want to go. And this week... We're finishing this series on fishers of people. Fishers of people, in other words, uh, how we share Jesus with others. Now, I was really wondering, where do I do this? Do I do this at the end and kind of build you guys up and then go, hey, I understand your concerns, but I just want to name them right away, okay? Because maybe you're with me on this and maybe you're not, but as I talk about fishers of people, by the way, fishers of people is the only phrase out of those four or the only action that is outward-orientated. Think about this. Come, follow me, and I will make you is all internal. You know, it's about myself and as I can grow. And yes, it's in community, possibly and hopefully, but it's all inward. And this last one, fishers of people, is this outward action. How do you feel when I talk about fishers of people? See, I think there's some people within our community today, and I am with you on some of these absolutely But what is your knee-jerk reaction on this? You see, for some of us non-extroverts in the group, we just go, ugh. You know, even to talk about sharing my faith with someone else gets our, our heart racing. You know, we feel a cold sweat coming over us. The notion to even talk about what we did on the weekend with our coworkers is enough for us and a stretch enough. Never mind to talk about being an apprentice of Jesus or my faith. Does it mean I have to go door to door? Or does it mean I stand on, my, on a chair in either my, in the cafeteria at school or in the office at work? But the thought of like being out there sharing my faith, it just, it's enough to just make us want to hide. For the busy among us, I know us. We think to ourselves that our lives are already packed enough, aren't they? 
through taking care of the kids or studying for exams or going to work full-time and being social. I do like to watch Netflix once in a while on TV, Jeff. So in my packed schedule, there's just simply not enough time and margin for me to share my faith. Then there's the troubled among us who say this, very honestly, Jeff, I've got a full heart and there's enough things going on in my life already. Not just my schedule, but my heart and my life, it's full. Maybe I've got a broken relationship. Maybe I'm dealing with uh, anxieties of my life and insecurities or, or depression. Or maybe I'm dealing with a struggling marriage or health issues. But whatever it may be, I've got enough already on, and it's already enough of a task to work on those first three than it is possibly to add a fourth. I can't imagine doing that. Or there might be some of us who just say we're broken. In other words, I'm a mess. And it depends on which week, on, on, on what level of mess I'm at. But because I'm a mess, I'm disqualified from sharing Jesus with others for the fear of looking like a hypocrite. If you respond to any of those in the affirmative and go, yeah, that's me, can I just at first let you go, ah, I want to validate these fears. I want to validate where you're at this morning because a lot of these, like I said, I'm not talking at you. I'm speaking with you. I'm with you on a lot of these. But can I also tell you that the Bible never tells us that it is mandated that we go door to door at least five doors a week. Otherwise, God doesn't love us as much or we can't get to a next level of Christianity. I want to help us today repicture, I think, repicture this idea of what it actually means to share our faith with others. And what it means to actually be fishers of people and what this means for us. And hopefully by the end of this morning, you can have this idea, a, a different idea than this mandated have-to um, picture. So with that, I want to introduce you to a woman by the name of Nina Simone. Has anybody ever heard of Nina Simone here, by the way? One, thank you. Any others? Do I have any other takers? Two, thank you. Two, amen. So that's it. All right. Well, for the rest of you, um, Nina Simone was born on February 21st, 1933. She was born the sixth child of eight children to a poor family in northern, uh, North Carolina. Now, the family didn't have much. And in fact, there was a lot of days where food on the table was very uh, slim. They didn't have a whole lot. The family worked, and uh, it was hard to put food on the table. But what they did have was an old piano in the house that a lot of the kids just kind of seemed to play on, and it brought music into the home, and they loved it. Well, the parents noticed that by the age of three, Nina Simone was able to play almost any song simply by ear. She couldn't read sheet music. She's three years old. She can't really read music at all. And yet she listened to a song and was able to play it. It was obvious that... Uh, her music and passion for music and playing grew quickly. It's almost as if this happened, that she had a song inside her that just simply needed to come out. Even at three years old, her parents saw that. They said, there's something different about her. There's a song within her that just needs to come out. Well, she had her first recital when she was 12 years old, playing to a packed auditorium, and people loved her. After graduation, she worked extra hours so that she could have private lessons, and at the age of 21, she signed her first recording contract with Colfix Records. And that seemed to launch her into a whole other stratosphere of success and influence. 
Has anyone ever had it where that, they just have a song within them that needs to come out? You know what I mean. Now, I have, and I hope maybe you have too, but maybe it's to your dog or in the shower or to your windshield in the car. You know, those songs that you just have to come out. Thankfully, my song has always been private and not public, to which all of you, I think, would say thank you, Jeff, for keeping the song inside you non-public. But for Nina, it was very public. And because of that, because of her passion and presence on the stage, her countless hits and her widespread influence in the recording industry, she had dozens of movies and TV shows that had at least partial of her, part, parts of her music played. But musicians that directly, not just indirectly, but directly credit Nina Simone for their passion for music is widespread including people like Aretha Franklin, Janis Joplin, Adele, David Bowie, Boy George. Do you guys remember Boy George? Oh, yeah. Elton John, who, may I say, named one of his pianos after her. Um, Kanye West, Lauryn Hill, Alicia Keys, and so many more. And think about this. Nina Simone's influence on all of these people and so many more wasn't because Nina Simone decided one day, I'm going to create a YouTube channel and I'm going to start teaching people how to enjoy and play music passionately. It was because Nina Simone had this song inside her that just had to come out. And as this song came out, people started to listen and people started to get inspired by this song that was beautiful in her and her passion for music inevitably led to the benefit of so many other musicians playing that we get to benefit from today. All because at the age of three, this song in her needed to come out. Well, I want to turn to John chapter 4 today to show us a woman who experienced something similar. Not literally, but something happened in her where a song was formed in her and just had to come out. This is John chapter 4. In the New Testament, we have the first four books of the New Testament, which are the the testaments of Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the last one is John. So we're picking it up here in verse 4. It says, now he, he is Jesus, by the way. Now Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. In case if you, any of you want to just, you know, like to keep track of the times of day of when things took place, they tell us here. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, a couple things I want to just show you. First of all, um, is this well is actually the well that they're talking about here. When I went to Israel in the summertime with my family and I took a class, they took us to this place, and it was really, really cool. Um, it didn't look like that, mind you, at the time, because every seems like every single thing in Israel where they consider to be holy or even slightly holy, they just build a church over it. So it didn't exactly look like that with the paintings on the wall and Jesus, you know, it's like, that's Jesus. Okay, so that couldn't have been him. But that is the actual well. And what we did is with that, with that pail that's right beside it, we drew water from it and you can still drink from it. It was actually very, very cool to think that Jesus and the Samaritan woman are, are 
meeting at this very well. But the second thing I want to make mention of is the fact that it says Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. That is the understatement of the century for John to say it that way. We're not just talking about a friendly hockey rivalry, which starts this week for real, by the way. I hope Edmonton loses every single game this season. Just joking, Chris, if you're here. Not really. Um, But anyway, um, it is an understatement. It's not just like a friendly rivalry or it's to say, you know, like my hockey team's better than yours or my child can walk sooner than yours or whatever, you know, the rivalries that we have. To say that Jews and Samaritans didn't get along was a huge understatement. And I want to show you this. This is a map of Israel. And you see where Samaria is in the blue. It's right in the middle. Now, if you had Jewish people that lived up north in the area of Galilee, and they wanted to go down to the area of Judea, the most efficient way would be going straight south. But for them, they would say, in order to go straight south, I've got to go through Samaria. And we hate the Samaritans. And there's a whole list of reasons why, which we're not going to get into today. Um, But they just didn't get along, all right? They were never Facebook friends. They never shared anything. They just, they hated each other. So what they would do is the people up in Galilee and vice versa, they would go around. Now remember, most of these people are walking, so it took 12 to 14 hours just to go around instead of cutting through someone's backyard. But they said, we won't do it because we put our thumb or nose up to them and we say, forget it. That's how much they hated them. And so it's even a big deal, the fact that this whole passage starts with that notion that Jesus has gone through Samaria. Jesus didn't go around He goes through. He crosses boundaries, not only physically, but also culturally, to meet with this woman. This alone is huge. Verse 10. Jesus answered her. Remember, she said, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you be asking me for a drink? In other words, we don't ever associate with each other. What are you doing here? Because I can tell you're a Jew and you know I'm a Samaritan. So why are we talking? And Jesus answered, he said, If you knew the gift of God and what it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and uh, you would have been given living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up in eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband She replied. And Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. It seems like an ouch moment, doesn't it? Jesus knows this woman, and he gets straight to the point not only does he know her, But he wants her to know that he knows her. Interesting, isn't it? Go get your husband and bring him back. I don't have one. I know. 
And in fact, you've been married five other times. And the person you're with, he's not even your husband. Can you imagine what is going through this woman's mind? She's already alone. The reason it's noon, and they tell us this, is because people never drew from the well at noon. They would always go in the morning or at night when it's coolest. And trust me, in in the middle of the day at a well like this, without the shelter of of a church, it would be hot. But not only do they do that then, it's because they can enjoy community together and they can talk about families and life. But by the very fact that this woman is going at noon by herself tells you what she thinks of her past. She's ashamed. She doesn't like other people knowing what's going on. And now this person comes, talks about this living water, and suddenly knows her life. And yet Jesus doesn't pin her to the wall. He doesn't rub her nose in it. But he does say he knows her. Think about how radical this is for the woman. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this beautiful that Jesus comes up and says, I know you? Actually, I think it's terrifying, to be honest. See, we're nice Canadians and we're polite people, but we're also very private people. And none of us like our dirty laundry aired. We don't even like our laundry aired. Never mind our dirty laundry. Let's keep it private. Let's keep it to ourselves. But Jesus knows us. And I think what he's trying to tell us through telling the woman that he knows her is to try to tell us, I know you as well. I know you. He says in Psalm 139, I knew you before the creation of of your body, of the creation of this world. I knew how you would be born. I know the very numbers of hair on your head which for some of us is becoming an easier and easier task to identify. But Jesus says, I know you, woman, and I accept you. Jesus knows us. He knows my brokenness. He knows my impatience. He knows my quick temper. He knows that we may have gossiped this week. He knows that we may have lied to a friend, a colleague, a boss, a teacher in order to have our way. He knows where my heart has gone, where my eyes have gone, where my thoughts have gone. He knows my past mistakes, even from this week. Jesus knows us, and he loves us. See, the woman realizes this, and something profound happens inside her. Because Jesus tells her he knows her and doesn't pin her to the wall, doesn't accuse her of anything, but just says, I know. Author Paul Metzger says this, and I love this. He says, a lot of men had made promises to this woman in exchange for something. No doubt she is a little jaded. But all Jesus wants is a cup of water. And a conduit into her heart so as to pour God's love into her life. He doesn't want anything else. I wonder if for this woman, this is the first time she has felt this. I know you and love you with no strings attached. See, countless times in scripture we see this. Jesus knows us and accepts us for who we are. Earlier on in Psalm 139 that I just quoted from, King David expresses the closeness that he knows that God has with him. 
He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He says, if I go up to the heavens, God, you're there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. How do we react about the knowledge that God knows us and he loves us? See, for this point, I think the woman, this song starts to well up in her. This song of this previously jaded past, this past that is full of mistakes and brokenness and obvious shame by the very nature that she's drawing, by her, drawing water by herself, suddenly this song starts to start in her. This man knows me. And there's something much more to him than meets the eye because he's told me he knows me. And I don't think he's been talking to my friends. So she continues this discourse a few verses later. And basically she's saying this. She's saying, Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. None of us really know how all of this is going to go down because we believe very different things. And your temple's in Jerusalem. Mine is up here in Samaria. And we may believe different things, but here's what we know. Is that one day, she says in verse 25, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. This we all know. And she says when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declares to her, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. I wonder if that, at that moment, at that very, very moment, the woman's eyes are opened. See, I just wonder if everything clicks for her and makes sense. God has come. The Messiah is standing before her. Says, I know you and I love you. So here's where things get interesting. Here's where the turn happens, and check this out, because alone, that is a great story. Alone, that is a beautiful experience where I could say, Conrad and team, come up and just, just rest in that assurance that Jesus knows us and loves us. But it's not stopping there. This is where the turn takes place and where this picture of sharing Jesus comes to be. Check this out. I love this. Verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar... She forgets even like, you know what? There's more important things than doing what I was doing. She leaves her water jar. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, come with me, guys. See, there's a man who told me everything I have ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Isn't that cool? All these people in the town are there, and this woman, because of her excitement, because of who she's talked to, she's saying to them, come, come with me. It's almost like Nina Simone. It's like this song has welled up in her that she can't hold in anymore. Come, because someone knows me. And I'm not ashamed of that, because he's told me that he knows me. And I want you guys to know, I want you to come and meet this person as well. And because of her excitement, because of this song coming out, I want you to come and meet this man as well. You see, Jesus could have, and I find this very interesting, Jesus could have met this woman at the well 
and spoke to her and said her life has changed and she moves on. And then Jesus goes into the town of Sychar, where she's from, and starts to preach from their holy places. And his disciples start to go in there and minister. And some of them are curious. It doesn't happen that way. And I think Jesus knew, because of the relationship with Samaritans and Jews, that he probably would have been beat out of town with a stick. But what happens? The song wells up from a local, from a Samaritan woman, and she is the one that brings the conduit of God's love to the people that need to hear it. She is the instrument that Jesus chooses to share the song that is welled up within her. She leverages this woman's testimony to bring people to him. Skipping down to, to verse 39, love this, listen to this. Because all of this has taken place and because these people have come out of the town and listened to the Messiah, verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Not because of Jesus' eloquent words, but because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Now, that has got to be the ultimate in irony, isn't it? People hate each other. They don't even talk to each other. They go around people's lands. And here we have a group of Samaritan people saying, come on in. Stay with me. We've got extra beds. We'll kick the kids out and they can sleep on the floor. They're being hospitable to a Jew all because of the woman's testimony. Connect the dots here. All because Jesus spoke to her and told her who she was. She has now brought people to him and people have now believed in him because of her testimony. And they said to the woman, verse 42, we no longer believe it just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So good. So let me just tie up some of these ideas and how do, we, how do we work all this out? Because at the beginning, I talked about this last portion of being an apprentice of Jesus, being fishers of people. And I want to identify right away with some of those pushbacks that we have. But I want to say this. I think this is very, very important for us to learn and know. Is that Jesus never works on the first three of those aspects without the fourth being fully present in our lives as well. In other words, Jesus' mandate isn't come follow me and I will make you. It's come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Jesus never transforms us without sending us out. Do we believe this? If we don't, we don't have the full understanding of what the gospel is. Because we are not meant to be just growing and be more and more spiritually mature and just keep eating the Christian food and understanding to be what it is to be an apprentice of Jesus without having a conduit or an outlet to live this and express this. Otherwise, we grow up to be 90 years old and spiritually fat. But we don't exercise that muscle of sharing our faith. Jesus never transforms us without sending us. I love C.S. Lewis a lot. And he says something really good about this. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses 
but completes the enjoyment. It is an appointed consummation. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. Or to come suddenly at the, at the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep it silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. Or to hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. We become fishers of people as this song wells within us that just has to come out. And so with this, I want to invite Ben up. My friend, Ben. Because what we've been trying to do throughout all of this is to say, what does this actually look like with skin and bones on it, um, with real people, um, beyond scripture, which is good, but what does this look like today in our day and age? And so Ben, um, you go ahead and take this one. I'm going to just keep mine. And uh, we're good. Hi. Um, yeah, come on up. Have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Can I get you anything? Um, um, coffee I? with... Uh, pumpkin spice lot. Some yeah, sugar, We can't please. do the pumpkin kind of thing, but uh, we're still okay. Um, and so I wanted, to, I wanted to bring you up because not only have you been... Um, if you know Ben at all, Ben is a ball of energy. So if you ever like, just want to, you're kind of down or kind of tired in the morning, just come and talk to Ben. And literally within probably 20 seconds, you will just be fired up and excited about the day and excited about life. And that's something I love about you is just how you are an encourager. So I want to just ask you a few questions about um, what I've been talking about today, being fishers of people. And tell me just how it relates with you. And so I've already given you the questions, um, but I want to just ask them for the sake of everybody else hearing as well. First of all, um, tell me a little bit, just a little bit about your life story um, and how you've come to know Jesus personally. What does that look like for you? Well, um, I came from a Roman Catholic background. It was all about the Pope. I'm just joking. But <laughs> yeah, uh, so we always had faith in our family. Um, but uh, I think freedom was a really big part of of my journey of faith because my family, my dad was always into freedom. So that's why we left Vietnam in search for freedom. We ended up in a refugee camp because uh, uh, the ox that I was on stepped on a landmine. So my brother, my dad, my cousin, they all blew up, uh, blew up, but they survived, thank God. And uh, nothing happened to me, praise God. So uh, yeah, um, eventually we ended up in Canada and uh, because we got sponsored by a church, and uh, my dad picked Canada because it's a place of freedom. So in Canada, I exercised my freedom. Um, you know, growing up, uh, I think some of us can uh, relate to uh, we want to do, we want to do things, and we want to experience things. So, uh, yeah. But well, one day, like um, I decided to read the Bible, and uh, that was about ten years ago. Um, yeah, when I read the Bible, I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. The 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 story of God and his power and his judgment. I've never took it seriously at all until, uh, and, uh, until I opened the book and I read it. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was talking about Jesus everywhere I went. And I think I annoyed a lot of people along the way. Uh, but, yeah, but uh, I just had to do it. And about six years ago, uh, uh, this time I wasn't married yet, but we had our daughter. And that's when uh, I took uh, life more seriously. And I was like... Man, I don't ever want to be away from, uh, apart from my daughter, Michaela, right? So uh, I started taking uh, uh, God more seriously. Um, three years ago, we decided, uh, my wife, Amelia, and I decided to get married. 
So um, yeah, I was on fire that time for God. Um, I ended up giving my life to God. Uh, like uh, I used to do whatever I want, and then uh, I was like, you know what, God, uh, I'm gonna have to see the big guy one day. So, so I, I I better start listening to him, right? So I gave my life to him, and uh, and um, I start doing things his way. It was a struggle, though. It's a struggle, but. It was, uh, it's worth it. Uh, now the freedom that I live in is uh, God's freedom. He gave me a choice. I still sometimes, I still like waver with him, you know, fight with him. But in the end, I think it's more worth it to follow his way because, because uh, for the sake of uh, my family, my daughter, I want her to see like, uh, like, uh, like I don't know everything in life, but I know... Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. That wasn't part of the script. I thought you did. So uh, <laughs> this is a big shock for all of us here, and uh, I think we're going to end the interview now. Okay. Because, no, just joking. Um, no, I, actually, I do want to ask you, just I want to dig into that part a little bit. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times, um, I mean, we all know that none of us know everything, but I want to I talk about that. But first, I want to just say, too, we, none of us know our stories. You know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, you may have sat beside Ben at some point and never knew that his journey... Well, first to Canada physically was through a refugee camp, but being on an ox, which was on a landmine that blew up. Boom. Like, how old were you when that took place? Um, I was uh, three years old. Wow. Yeah, my brother scarred everywhere. My dad scarred everywhere, messed up. Yeah. Unbelievable. But... And, and, and through your dad's passion to want to find a better place for his family and going through some of those things that, that I think many of us can never understand... Um, that you, you, God kept you safe and, and you're here. And, and through that, finding not only just like a, a, a religious system, but finding faith personally, I think that's beautiful. And you're right, we will stand before the big guy one day, and, and that's right. But understanding his love, and, and I think probably even through some of the things I've been sharing about God seeing Ben and seeing who you are and, and, and loving you, right? Not putting you on a judgment scale, but going, Ben, I love you, and you responding to that. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think that that's obviously what's taken place. But talk to me a little bit now about that transformation. In other words, you don't know everything about life. Bringing it back to that, um, what has this journey been on since you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? You've been baptized um, here at Yorkson, which, is, which was a really cool day. Talk to me a little bit about that transformation that has taken place in you. Well, back then, like uh, I, used, um, I used to see life differently, but... Uh, as I follow God, wow, it's, it's amazing. Like, I see miracles everywhere. A friend at church uh, reminded me that, you know, like, if I want to see miracles, all I have to do is look around me. You see miracles everywhere from life, from life itself, the, the, the trees, stars, planets. Well, we can't really see the planets, but, you know, the On air the we breathe. Yes, right. and, uh, you know, animals, everything. None of these would, uh, would happen, would exist if it wasn't for our creator, our heavenly uh, loving father, right? So, yeah, miracles are everywhere, and my whole perspective of life just changed. I, I, I started joining, like, um, I never thought I'd do this, but I started joining discipleship, uh, Bible study group, which I attend uh, on a weekly basis, and anything that, anything that friends invite me to that has to do with, uh, with the Lord, yeah, I'm all down for it, like, because I want to I learn more about, about the creator that, that loves us so much, that created this world for us, and has uh, a future for us like I used to be scared of I used to be scared of dying but uh, uh now I'm not scared anymore and then sometimes friends would be like hey 
uh, you know, you only believe in God because you're scared to die. I'm like, no, dude, I believe in God because I have a hope, I have a future. You guys are scared to die because you guys will turn into, like, a, um, dirt for my garden, you know? <laughs> like, stuff like that. I'll say stuff like that to them, and it, it wakes people up, right? I was going to say, it, uh, yeah, it wakes people up. It's a good one way to say it. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, because, that's yeah, the truth is we do have hope, right? And that's what I'm leaning on. That's awesome. I mean, it's great. And, and this is, again, this, is, this has been who's real, and, and I love that, and I'm not asking you to be anything that you're not. Um, and, I, and I know that you share Jesus from a place of being honest and authentic, right? And, and I think, when I think about preaching today and, and this, this song that welled up in Nina Simone's heart, and then this song that, that started up in this woman's heart in John chapter 4, God has put this song in your heart that seems to just not be able to contain itself. Um, and I love that about you, and I love that your energy combined with your faith um, is out there. And sometimes it, it is a little bit on the edge, <laughs> um, but I think, I think what you do is you share from a place of authenticity. Um, what does that look like for you? Um, in other words, how do people respond, or what are some ways that you've been able to share your faith in Jesus to be a fisher of people with others in life? Well, yeah, sometimes it can be a little bit uh, scary, but... You know what? I love to talk about Jesus all the time. So, uh, so uh, I think one of the easiest way for me to share with people is just to bless them in Jesus' name. Uh, then, then at least it's out there, and they know who I roll with, right? And then, and then uh, I get a good feel of it. So, but I remember one of the sermons you said one time, uh, Pastor Jeff. Uh, you said like, "What do you do when you have good news?" Well, you want to share it, right? And that's exactly like. You just want to share it with people, especially with your family, with your friends, with, uh, with people that, that you know that, uh, uh, that may not be saved. And, uh, and you just want them to be saved. You just want to be with your family forever, right? So, so I just share it. And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's frightening, though, because you don't know what's going to happen. And, uh, yeah, when, when I feel like the conversation's going in a, in a sucky way, like, then, then I... And I kind of like end it with like, hey, man, whatever. Jesus loves you, dude. You know, just leave it at that. Leave it at that. And then there, is no, there is no comeback to that, right? Like, yeah, uh, everybody really loves isn't. love. Everybody wants love, right. right? Nobody can that's deny right. that. That's yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, that's what I do. And, um, and then sometimes I, I just wait for an opportunity to bring the conversation back to the crossroad where, it, uh, where why it's so important to have God in your life, right, in your life. And uh, another way I would share the Lord is, like, I spend time with other people, like, say, the refugee food bank that I'm connected with. Mm. I go there, hang out with refugees, uh, Muslim people, people without faith um, uh, as well. And you get to just uh, share your time, share your life with them, and bless them in Jesus' name. That's, that's a good way for them to uh, know the love that's inside you and let that love pour back out into them. That's, I just feel like that's a wonderful way to share the Lord with people. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Can we just say thank you to Ben for sharing this morning? <laughs> Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I think it's evident, and if it's not, you can talk to him afterwards, that, uh, that Ben not only loves Jesus, but there's a song in his heart that comes out, and that he just has to share it. And 
Some of you can connect with that. You know that, you know, I'm just full of Jesus and I just want to share him with whoever I want and who's ever around me. Um, I have known people who share Jesus with uh, strangers at bus stops and colleagues at work on their first day of the job and they're just going, I just have to share. But I also want to remind us of this, is that Jesus doesn't transform us without sending us, but that's not always from a place of easiness, um, a place of passion, or a place of like, I just cannot help but sharing. It can also be a place of brokenness. And this is where I want to bring it back to some of the uh, pushbacks that maybe you had that you identified with with me at the beginning. You know what? I'm not an extrovert. Or my life is too busy or too full or I feel disqualified. I feel broken. And so therefore God can't use my broken story. Can I remind us that there are people who have a wonderful story and they get to share that with others? But I think the vast majority of us actually have the privilege of sharing, just like this woman in John chapter 4, from a place of brokenness and restoration and sharing. This woman who is ashamed of her past, who walks around probably in isolation in her community, is suddenly known by her heavenly father. The lights come on and she starts to tell people, I'm known. It's not something she hides away from, but rather I am known. Maybe for others of us, we feel just broken. And you go, once I get through this transforming part just a little bit further, then I might be a fisher of people. But can I encourage us so strongly that even in our brokenness, God uses that to bring others to himself. He does. I know this personally. I've shared with, with, with you a number of times being vulnerable that uh, a number of years ago just, just struck with this this anxiety that I thought was going to be just a couple of, of days or weeks, just get me out of this God, get me out of this doctor with whatever, that I know in different seasons that it's been this unwelcome friend that has just stayed with me. And I just go, that's just a part of my story that feels like the woman in John chapter 4. Get that out of here. I'm ashamed of it. I want to feel better. But when I feel like this, I just feel like hiding. I can honestly say that it is through broken times like that that God has even used that. And I shouldn't say even God's used that. God has used that as a platform to share with people because people have come up to me knowing that I struggle with anxiety and gone, can you help me with this? Can you help me so that I feel like I'm not alone struggling through this? And in, in, in just in an honest way to say that I don't have all the answers, but I will tell you this, is I have, I have a heavenly father who loves me and who walks beside me in my brokenness. And I've found that that to be just as honest as I can and, and, and as effective way to share Jesus with people than to uh, stand on a soapbox and share him from wherever with a megaphone. People in their brokenness have, have a special place to be able to, to, to share Jesus. We've talked um, a bit over the last number of weeks of Christine Tullock. And Christine would be this poster child for me in my mind over her season of brokenness and her battle with cancer, of just being able to share Jesus with countless number of people, of people coming to faith because of her struggle and her faith and they've seen, of her being able to share him, of people being uh, encouraged and inspired by her faith in God, even in her brokenness. And so if you are here today and you feel just disqualified, I want to say you're not. You're actually very qualified. And there might be a place in life that God is going to use you and your story to share with others that no one else can. 
I don't know what that looks like for you. And maybe, you know, as, we, as, as, as I close here, um, I want to just say the first thing is, is to, all of, to all of us who feel broken and disqualified is that God actually really wants to use our story. And so maybe the next step, as we talk about what is our next step, and that's been a question we've been asking every single week, is just to pray. You say, I don't know, God, I don't know who it is around me. I don't even know what you want me to share. But just, God, what in my life do you want to just, just open up my heart and just say, I know you, and I love you, and I want to leverage that so that people may know more about my love for them. Would you even begin to pray and say, God, would you put that on my heart? Would you put a song in me that just has to come out in the most authentic, honest way possible? The second thing I want to say before the band, uh, we respond in worship with the band, is this. You might be here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus. And you may feel like, uh-oh, I came on the wrong week. Because they're talking about how to share faith with people like me. And isn't this more of a seminar or is this kind of more of a... I shouldn't be here today. I want to say you are. And you are welcome here every single week. You are welcome to be part of our community. Because I believe unapologetically that sharing our faith isn't this academic exercise. It's not how do I uh, become a better salesman at what I believe to be able to tell people more about it. It's honestly sharing from one life to another. And I will unapologetically say from the front for as long as I live, that God in heaven loves us, that he knows us, that he's formed us, and he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That is the gospel, friends. And so I hope that if you've ever heard anyone be hypocritical in faith, maybe saying, you know, I know someone who's a Christian and they certainly don't act like it, we apologize. But Christ never came for that people could all be hypocrites. God has come to know us and love us and, and sent his son to die for us. And I hope that you hear that this morning in an honest way. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we thank you for grace this morning. We thank you that you love us. And we thank you that you know us. You know us in our hearts. You know our joys and successes and where we just want to celebrate and you know the places where we're broken, and you know our insecurities and the places that we just want to hide. God, I am thankful that you know all of this about us. Because God, you love us unconditionally and relentlessly. And God, as we understand this more, I pray that this song in us will just continue to well up and well up and well up, that others may just hear it. Not from a have-to place, but from a get-to place where we have the privilege of sharing the hope that we have. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.